every single person needs to have their own internet connection. This is not just like, oh, I can sort of get the building wide Wi-Fi if I stand near my front door. No, you should have your own internet connection that you can plug in and watch TV or set up a computer to do your work. That's really what digital equality is. This is episode 264 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Episode 264 takes us to San Francisco, home to the Golden Gate Bridge, cable cars, and monkey brains. Preston Ray and Mason Carroll from the Internet Service Provider are here to tell us about the local company, the services they provide in the Bay Area, and the work they're doing to chip away at the digital divide. Learn more about the company at monkeybrains.net. As a reminder, this conversation with Preston and Mason is commercial-free, but our work at ILSR requires funding. Please take a moment to contribute at ILSR.org. If you've already contributed, thank you. Now here's Christopher with Preston Ray and Mason Carroll from Monkey Brains. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Joining me today is Preston Ray, Senior Field Engineer for Monkey Brains, an ISP in California. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Pleasure to be here. And we also have Mason Carroll, Lead Engineer for Monkey Brains. Welcome to the show as well. Yeah, thanks a lot. So uh, I think the first question is um, Monkey Brains. I remember running into those in a Harrison Ford movie a long time ago. What is Monkey Brains in San Francisco? (laughs) Monkey Brains is a local internet service provider. We're a wireless ISP or WISP, uh, and we're basically entirely within the city of San Francisco, just providing uh, internet for everyone from uh, residences to businesses to large buildings. So when you say wireless ISP, uh, does that mean you're delivering things over Wi-Fi, or how exactly does it work, Preston? Our primary uh, mode of delivering the internet is through wireless point-to-point uh, and point-to-multipoint rooftop antennas. So that's you know terrestrial uh, point-to-point, and we'll go up on a rooftop and set up a dish and align it to a dish that's somewhere else. Uh, and then ultimately, everything of course uh, goes back to fiber and to the to the greater internet. But um, those wireless links allow us to be really flexible, and uh, they do quite a bit of bandwidth as well. So we've previously interviewed uh, people from NetBlazer, which is a similar um, effort in Boston, and uh, WebPass, which is a competitor of yours in um, San Francisco. Is, is there anything really different about Monkey Brains, Mason, that um, other WISPs may not be doing? I think traditionally um, WISP is generally a solution for people in rural areas. In in rural areas, generally, there's not been a lot of, there may, maybe it's not um, high-capacity infrastructure. So, you know, you can deploy a radio link over any distance and get connectivity. Monkey Brains is a little bit different where we're an urban WISP, so we're only in San, the city of San Francisco. We actually have a few links in Oakland. The value that um, wireless provides in San Francisco, for example, is that it's quite challenging to, you know, add fiber in the streets due to permitting issues and just the fact that, you know, it's, it's a dense city, so you can't just, like, dig up the street to add fiber. So you have an economy like San Francisco where the um, economy is booming and, you know, someone moves into a warehouse building, there's no high-speed internet available. Or maybe they have a DSL um, capability there, but they need a full gigabit per second. So what's nice about the wireless technology and what Monkey Brains can do 
is, you know, in the matter of, you know, 48 hours if necessary, we can come out, install a licensed radio link in a point-to-point um, topology, and we, we can uh, deliver full gigabit speed really, really quickly. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great solution if pulling fiber to the building is, is, isn't really feasible. And also our customers tend to find that you know, a lot of times we have customers who say, oh, we're ordering fiber to our building. We're just going to get monkey brands for three months until the fiber comes in. We deliver the Internet, and then three months later, their fiber's not in. Six months later, they're hit more delays. And then a year later, they're like, actually, this service that monkey brands is providing is extremely reliable. This fiber contract is, is exorbitant, and they've been missing deadlines. So we're actually just going to stick with monkey brands as our primary uh, primary uplink. Well, I've certainly heard a lot of good stories over the years about monkey brains. Uh, but the reason that we wanted to have you on now, finally, what, what pushed me over the edge was um, seeing Preston, your name, as someone I'm familiar with from having been with the Open Technology Institute at uh, New America, and seeing this really interesting project in uh, Hunter's Point with the low-income housing units. So, Preston, can you tell us what's going on there? Sure. There has been a lot of redevelopment of public and affordable housing uh, throughout the city and county of San Francisco in a a program called uh, RAD. And this program has sort of opened up some possibilities for uh, reassessing how services are provided at publicly supported housing. So the Hunters Point East-West Apartments, which is spread across two sites in the Hunters Point neighborhood of San Francisco, it came to our attention a little over a year ago in February of 2016, thanks to Cami Grip at the Community Technology Network, um, who pointed out that the um, housing authority there, the San Francisco Housing Development Corporation, was looking to um, use some grant money they got from the mayor's office to provide internet, basically. They wanted Wi-Fi at, these, um, at the housing that they were renovating. And um, when we got wind of it, uh, we decided to do something really interesting and different because just like a lot of providers, if, if, if the Internet is an afterthought because they think of the Internet, of course, as something that another provider will come in and provide and oftentimes privately in some way, or they think that we'll just throw up some Wi-Fi access points and everyone's going to have service and it's going to be great. We decided to do something that utilizes our expertise in hooking up, you know, direct in customers and saying, well, actually, if the infrastructure is right, we could provide extremely high-speed internet directly to each unit of uh, Hunter's Point without managing access points. We could actually provide just a plug-in your own router, and you could get a gigabit of internet just like that. And so we worked out what that would look like, and we've been doing that work um, for some time now. There's like phased redevelopment that's occurring across the 27 buildings at Hunter's Point. So just the other week, finally, after a lot of um, wrangling of the infrastructure and working with the uh, folks who are doing the reconstruction there, we managed to light up um, the first uh, several dozen units in Hunter's Point. And that's really exciting to see those really fast internet speeds coming out of, of their walls. Well, I saw in an article about it that um, you'll ultimately be doing 212 units, which is uh, more than 300 people in just this kind of phase, uh, but that in time you're going to be actually servicing more than 1,000 uh, units. Yeah, that's right. So at Hunter's Point East-West, there's 212 units, but we also uh, managed to get in on a grant uh, series called the uh, California Advanced Services Fund that the state Public Utilities Commission offered 
in order to work with a couple of other housing providers to provide very high-speed uh, internet uh, to a bunch of other properties in the city. So I think we've already completed uh, a couple of those properties, um, a couple of women's shelters, and we've got a whole bunch coming online through the Tenderloin Neighborhood Development Corporation, which has properties throughout the Mission and uh, through the Civic Center and Tenderloin area in San Francisco. What's really different about the study, Preston kind of hit on it, but I wanted to bring it home, is that you know a lot of times in these public housing projects, they want to set up wireless access points, but we really believe that in order to properly uh, address digital divide issues, um, every single person needs to have their own internet connection. This is not just like, oh, I can sort of get Wi-Fi, the, the building-wide Wi-Fi if I stand near my front door. No. You, want, you should have your own internet connection that you can plug in and watch TV or, you know, set up a computer to do your work. That's really what, you know, digital equality is, especially in these low-income housing. There's building-wide Wi-Fi, but some of the, you know, no matter what kind of wireless solution you deploy, there's going to be dead areas. And if you can deliver proper broadband, you actually give people the ability to, you know, cancel their expensive, you know, cable TV packages and whatnot and you know if you can you know the people who live there who if they can save a hundred dollars a month and not order you know a cable connection that you know that hundred dollars a month makes a really big impact in that communities to remind people the you're running very high capacity links to the roof and then using the structured wiring to deliver individual circuits to each person so that you know um, if you had that shared campus wi-fi as you're discussing um, you know a neighbor that may have three kids that are all streaming could really put a dent into that wi-fi capacity whereas um, the approach that you're discussing you would not have that problem because of the congestion um, would be occurring basically if it did at all on the highest capacity links where I'm guessing you'd want it to occur. Yeah. And I, I think generally with, you know, when people are having problems with getting on the internet, you know, I think a lot of times they say, Oh, oh you're my neighbors using up all the bandwidth. But in reality, the issue is more likely to be just based on their location and their proximity to the wireless access points and other noise factors and whatnot. They just have a bad connection to the wireless access point. And those kind of problems are just, extremely hard to troubleshoot. I mean, you know, everyone probably has had problems, just bizarre problems with Wi-Fi in their own homes or in their offices that they work at. And it's, it's really as much an art as a science, you know, setting up Wi-Fi. And if you actually have your own Ethernet connection, your own Ethernet port, you actually have the ability to, if you're having connectivity issues, you actually have the ability to, like, work on it yourself. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you could plug your computer directly into it. How much is Monkey Brains charging the um, people in these units for service? It's going to be zero dollars per month for all residents. And um, Mason, how long is that going to last? Um, is that like a kind of forever kind of thing, or is this a trial basis, or what's the expectation? For the Hunters Point East West, the property management company is committed to paying us uh, ten dollars per month per unit for I think a couple years, and then after that we'll. Uh, we may end up just donating bandwidth. Just um, I'm not really sure about the the financial aspect of that. Maybe Preston remembers that better. Yeah, to speak to that, um, that that's that's right. That's but, and also because we got to um, upgrade the. We were originally just going to do Hunter's Point, you know, sort of on our own contract with uh, using that grant money from the mayor's office uh, that SFHDC has. But thanks to getting a, a CASF grant from the state, they're able to extend. Um, more of that money into paying for service for more years. 
but uh, it, it'll be charged at that rate um, to the housing provider for five years, which is the term that the CASF grant requires. The same, you know, it has to be um, the same cost basically uh, to residents for five years, and then after that, a lot changes in five years. But I think that we're we're definitely have we definitely have as a company a commitment to providing a um, an affordable housing rate, and we're targeting that rate depending on the situation, uh, $10 or free per unit per month. Yeah, and I mean, really, Monkey Rights is prepared to do it for free, but we're hoping to continue to try to apply for some for some grant money um, to help fund it. You know, obviously, we're uh, not really making <laughs> any money on this project, but, you know, we really think it's important to be uh, good citizens. And also, you know, we're hoping to moving forward, you know, just get a seat at the table in the, in the discussion about broadband in the, in the future of the city of San Francisco. And I think uh, we're getting a lot of uh, attention and goodwill. I've never built a, or run a, a network like this, um, but I've been trying to get a better sense of the costs involved. And um, my impression is, and I'd like just like you to correct anything that I get wrong, but my impression is is that when you do have this kind of one-time grant funding, that $10 a month um, is going to basically cover your costs. And so um, monkey brains would be able to um, do this you know, at a loss, as you said, if you charge nothing. Um, but if you're able to recover a reasonable fee per household, um, then this is something that could work and is not going to really be a drain on your business such that um, it would be unsustainable. And and that's always my fear. I mean, I, I love it if we could do it for free, but my concern is always, can we make it do, can we make this work indefinitely? And at $10 a month, if you can get some grant money to build the um, upfront infrastructure and perhaps some amount to refresh it, I'm, I'm curious if that works out. Well, also, yeah. And, and what's really important to for the success of these projects is, you know, we call it in the industry uniformity of service. You know, if we're managing a thousand internet connections, you know, you want them all to be more or less the same. And so in order to do that, it's really important for these housing authorities to go ahead and, you know, install Cat5 in every single unit. So there's a Cat, there's an RJ45 little Ethernet port in the unit, and that wire runs to a panel in the telephone room of the building. And we can just install an Ethernet switch. It's easy to understand. It's easy to troubleshoot. It's reliable. If the housing authorities invest in that infrastructure to uh, when they're renovating the building, it actually enables us to deliver the service for really cheaply. Whereas, you know, we work in a lot of older buildings where, for example, there's no modern wiring. So we have a lot of tricks up our sleeves to um, deliver internet over old wiring. But I mean, to be honest, it's not as reliable and easy to manage and there's a lot more um, cost and hassle with uh, supporting it. So if they invest the money up front to build the modern wiring, it, it, it allows us to uh, provide a phenomenal gigabit internet product for very low cost, regardless of who pays for it. I think the housing and urban development folks uh, under the Obama administration in 2016, I, I think it was just recently, right toward the end of the administration, uh, made that a requirement. And I, I think that still stands. So let's hope so, because uh, the more we can uh, make it easy for uh, ISPs to solve this problem, the less uh, we would need to do uh, in terms of public funding. Now, um, I'm curious, Preston, uh, is, have there been any surprises when you talk about um, Hunter's Point being an area that's 
being redeveloped. Are these new units that are being built? Or are they rehabbed? Or um, you know, has there been any issue in terms of any challenges that were unexpected? They're rehab units, Chris. Uh, I think that originally the Hunters Point East West Apartments were built as Navy housing uh, because there was a big naval base uh, in that uh, area on Hunters. So they, they were turned into uh, public housing afterwards. So what's happening is that basically folks that have lived there for a while and then they are they're relocated while the um, the, re- the renovations done, which takes us to you know maybe less than six months, and then they're moved right back in. There's not like uh, new buildings going up. Those same buildings that have been there are being redone, which has also sort of gotten us to look at exactly these infrastructural nuances that Mason was talking about, and like what are the what is the level of service and what is the level of infrastructure that makes it feasible for an ISP to provide, you know, a regular level of service like that at that sort of lower cost. That is, it's very interesting. And I, and it's really great to hear um, that these decisions are being made, that we're getting really high quality service for people who we want to make sure have all the educational opportunities, abilities to apply for jobs and, and access government services. Um, I want to I want to turn now, though, to what San Francisco is uh, discussing openly, which is uh, perhaps building a significant amount of fiber that would be uh, ideally open to multiple uh, ISPs such as yourself uh, around the city. And I'm curious if you have anything you'd like to share in terms of thoughts about that process. Uh, yeah, I know that there there is sort of several efforts happening right now to discuss once again, the question of publicly funded or publicly supported broadband network. Of course, San Francisco infamously had an, had an effort uh, through Earthlink back about 10 years ago that did not work out so well. But they're looking at it again, um, both the supervisors and the Department of Technology. And I think that, uh, you know, we don't know what final form their work is going to take or their recommendations are going to take. But I believe that from our perspective, you know, it is good to have more infrastructure. It is good for the city to have more modern and well-managed infrastructure. And fiber, of course, certainly closer to the core is the right thing. I would personally think it's, it's, it's great for residents when there is like more effective ways for them to get service because it, you know, imp- improves choice and can lower cost, as we, of course, see, saw in Chattanooga. Uh, when eventually um, incumbent providers after the city offered, you know, gigabit fiber started saying, well, we'll offer gigabits of fiber. And then that, that's like kind of a virtuous thing. But uh, I believe that ultimately what we would like to see for monkey brains as well as for residents is an opportunity for existing providers like monkey brains to plug in with a publicly supported fiber network that will improve our ability to sort of do what we do best, which is the last mile and uh, customer management, going directly to people, managing a relationship with them, providing them um, a handoff right at their house or at their business and using really well-supported public infrastructure uh, in order to do ultimately the connection back to the internet from some point in the neighborhood or on the block. Do you want to add anything, Mason? I think the city has basically has a lot of fiber assets. They're not really utilized for the for for the public use. So they basically have a decision. They're like, okay, are we going to go with option one, essentially just create an ISP and just sell you know internet to individual customers and businesses and institutions, or since they already have the fiber, they've already been managing it for public safety, do they just lease that fiber 
to local ISPs, and then you maybe have only seven or eight customers all leasing fiber from the city of San Francisco. And, you know, it might be a little bit easier for them to manage a project like that without, you know, having to, like, deal with supporting thousands of individual customers. You know, it's essentially a little business within the Department of Technology. So either way they go, I think it's great. If they build all the fiber and never do anything with it, then it's money poorly spent. So, but if you can provide cheap service to residents either directly or by lowering the cost for ISPs and increasing competition for ISPs, I think that's only going to benefit residents in the long term. So we support whatever effort and whatever form they decide to go with on it. I want to jump on something that Mason just said as well, like when he pointed out that there's all these fiber assets. And of course, we saw a letter from Supervisor Mark Farrell that he, he uh, requested sort of an analysis maybe about a year ago of what the city's fiber assets are. And of course, we've heard this story before across cities, across political entities that manage you know, infrastructure like fiber. It turns out there's hundreds of miles that are spread across many different departments own in some way or are responsible for that fiber. And like all of them don't necessarily know at the moment exactly where it is, where it goes, because maybe even a lot of it was pulled decades ago. And it's, uh, like where that fiber is sits in some deep archival vault, uh, hasn't been digitized uh, where it is. So I want to also emphasize that there's sort of a parallel issue here, like who is the infrastructure for? And this is, this is at the crux of why I'm really excited about what Monkey Brains is doing at Hunter's Point and trying to, and also with these other uh, public housing projects and trying to expand our work for residents who live in affordable housing. You know, if there's an amount of money to be spent, especially in the public interest, when that money is being spent, it's an investment in the way that um, that infrastructure is going to be used for a very long time. And if that money is spent on fiber that will go nowhere and never, or that will go a lot of places, but never gets lit up, never actually serves people, or maybe say only serves businesses and certain city functions, but doesn't serve the 15% of San Franciscans that don't have an internet, regular access to an internet connection, then that hardens the digital divide. There was an investment made in hardening the digital divide. And the same is true if the infrastructure that is being redeveloped at these public housing sites, or really in any sort of place where people live and work and play, if the, if the investment is made in such a way that the infrastructure is not modernized with an eye at enabling everybody, especially those who lack access now, to have like a meaningful top of the line and affordable or free at the point of use access to a free and open internet, then, then that has also hardened the digital divide. So what we're trying to do here, and we are really lucky to be able to do this in the San Francisco broadband infrastructure market, we are trying to influence the development and the investment of these funds into making sure that modern infrastructure is built so that we think of the people who live in affordable housing at the same level or even or even primarily above the people who have some means of getting fast internet access right now in businesses and in private homes. It's really great to hear you saying that because uh, that's the kind of spirit we want to have in terms of being focused on solving the ultimate problems. Uh, and I and I think for people who are listening from other areas, it is important to note San Francisco has um, more ISPs than almost any other city in terms of really credible ISPs that are making important investments. So um, you know this discussion about San Francisco uh, may not apply to all other cities, but uh, I'm I'm very glad to hear that you're in the mix, and I certainly hope that the investments will be well made and enable firms like yours to do well. 
Preston, I just wanted to ask a, a totally unrelated question, which is, um, you know, you, I, I became aware of you uh, when you were working with OTI, the Open Technology Institute, um, a program that I was fascinated by because one of the things that I wondered if it was doing was basically giving an opportunity to people who wanted to figure out how to use their technical skills to really make the world a better place and giving them, you know, a place to sort of meet other people and then expand. And and I'm just curious if you can tell, if you can say like, did OTI have an important role in terms of, of moving you into a place where you're able to, to do these kinds of investments and work for a company like Monkey Brains? I'm really pleased you asked that question, Chris, because I've, I've thought about that a lot as we've been doing this work at Monkey Brains. Um, and I think that the, and the answer is absolutely. I feel like I gained through the work that we did at the Open Technology Institute and with, uh, we did a lot of work directly with communities um, who were eager to build their own infrastructure in Detroit and in Red Hook, Brooklyn, and uh, with a lot of BTOP grants in Philadelphia. To, to be present, developing a pedagogical approach to understanding building and controlling infrastructure and recognizing like what's important to people at those points. So the internet is not thought of something that like, I'm going to pay somebody some money and just like that. And it's there, but like a deeper question of, you know, what is my relationship to this infrastructure and what do I want to get out of it? I'm really thankful that I was able to take a route of gaining that um, perspective and education, doing that organizing, and then take that to a place where the infrastructure gets built every single day, like quite a bit of it gets built every single day. I, I really am just thankful that I am able to be at a place like Monkey Brains where we can take those values and sort of apply them to the built environment. I hope that we continue to do that in a greater scale as time goes on. Great. Well, thank you both for taking the time and for this work. Uh, I think, you know, we'll hopefully see a lot of other ISPs um, seeing that you can make this work and making it happen. Thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. That was Preston Ray and Mason Carroll from Monkey Brains, a San Francisco-based internet service provider. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. You can follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow the muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. Access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 264 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs> <laughs>